we inherit Pentecostal style. We don't inherit Pentecostal lifestyle. We can't be content with what we inherited. We need a personal relationship, a first generation experience. These are some life-changing words of wisdom from today's guest on the Noteworthy Podcast, Brother Raymond Woodward. Brother Woodward is a dynamic preacher, teacher, and pastor of Capital Community Church, or as he likes to call it, CCC, in Fredericton, New Brunswick, Canada. I was so blessed and honored to get to have this conversation with Brother Woodward. He is such a kind man, and I have admired his ministry for years now. He's preached at conferences like UPCI General Conference. He does district conferences, camp meetings all over the world, literally. And uh, I thank God for Brother Woodward. I thank God for his ministry. And I know that you're going to be incredibly blessed by the conversation today. Guys, thanks for tuning into the Noteworthy Podcast. Let's go. Hey, my friend. Uh, hi, everyone. I am on the line with Pastor Raymond Woodward, a dynamic preacher, teacher, and pastor of Capital Community Church in Fredericton, New Brunswick, Canada. Brother Woodward, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you, Nathan. It's an honor to uh, join you for the podcast today. Man, I'm so thankful that it worked out. I have admired your ministry for years now, and uh, I just really count this a privilege to get to sit down and talk with you. The honor is mine, and I know that the listeners are going to be so excited uh, to hear from you. Are, Are you back home today, or are you traveling out today? You know what? I'm actually home today, and this week, which is a little unusual, it's our... uh annual missions conference here at Capital Community Church in Fredericton. So uh, I'm home leading up to that. I'm excited to be home. It feels like vacation, so it's great. <laughs> I know there's no place like home. And uh, I I felt a little guilty reaching out to you because I see that you're at a different church like every other day. I'm like, Lord, he doesn't have time for this. <laughs> he doesn't have time. <laughs> but I so appreciate it. And I know that... Uh, Goodness, you travel abroad, and and you're blessing so many with your teaching and your preaching ministry, and um, you've preached all over the world at events like uh, the UPCI General Conference, district camps, conferences. You you just preached the Georgia camp this last year. What an incredible blessing that was to have you in Georgia, uh, and I've always so admired your spirit and your preaching style. Would you mind sharing with us uh, when you first felt that call to preach on your life? Um, it's been a journey. Uh, you know, I, I, somebody said one time, you know, God called Paul, Paul called Timothy. And, and they were kind of saying it in jest a little bit. But really, my call to preach has been a, a journey. Uh, a pastor, when I was a teenager, kind of laid his hand on me and, and told me that, um, you know, he, he wanted me to do some, uh, teaching in the youth group. It was very casual, very informal, but 
I remember uh, teaching from the Gospel of John about uh, he is the vine, we are the branches. And I remember uh, just feeling some kind of a little confirmation in my spirit way back then, sitting around tables, uh, teaching our youth group in our local church. And then um, from there, the journey uh, ended up taking me to uh, to Bible college. I didn't set out to be a preacher or a pastor. I set out to be a teacher um, in the secular sense of that word, like my father. Wow. He was a high school principal uh, most of his career. Uh, my sister has her education degree. My daughter has her education degree. And I set out that way. And just at the very last moment before heading off to university locally here, I really felt uh, directed, redirected, if you will, to Bible college. And uh, that also happened to be local in the city. It wasn't a decision made casually. I really felt like I was giving up a lot uh, at the time. I remember that yeah. very distinctly. You know, okay, God, I'll give up my favorite uh, career, my, you know, my, my profession that I've always dreamed about doing and being. And I remember those conversations. They were pretty intense between me and the Lord. And uh, so I went to Bible school. Um, and again, it was a journey. I, didn't, I don't remember any distinct moment when I said, okay, this is my call to preach. Right. But, um, you know, it just unfolded. And, and I really believe in the biblical principle of whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. And so um, I was an assistant pastor for the first 18 years of my ministry. And now I've been a senior pastor for the last 18 years. So it's split right about up the middle. And uh, then this traveling thing started that you mentioned. And somewhere I was sitting in a hotel room somewhere in the world overseas. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and this has been maybe two, three, four years ago. And the Lord just reminded me. Um, so uh, you gave up teaching for me, did you? And I thought, oh, my goodness, you know, like I've had the privilege and the high honor of teaching in all these different countries and wow. and all through North America, U.S. and Canada and uh, just like, you know, different places around the world. And so, you know, that's one thing I try to say very strongly to younger uh, people that are, are thinking about ministry and asking about it. Um, I don't feel like I had that moment when there was a direct, definitive divine call, you know, um, I, I just feel like I walked through every door God opened and I gave up what I thought were my dreams and God gave them back to me a hundredfold. Uh, just amazing. So that, that to me is how it worked. Man, that is so incredible. And I, I love, I love how, when I get the opportunity to speak to different men of God, how, uh, some people do have a more exact, moment and but i've i've found that for a lot of people that i admire and respect that it truly was a process of what god was doing and what god was preparing you for and i'm so thankful that you gave up teaching so that we could be blessed <laughs> by your ministry i really am man we so enjoyed having you in georgia by the way i hope that you know that that's so kind. Thank you. Georgia District loves you. I think we had you for our district conference and our camp meeting, if I remember correctly. That's correct. Yeah. And we kept you real busy. You probably don't want to come back. We kept you so busy. But I enjoy every minute. I really do. <laughs> we loved it. Uh, now, I consider you to be uh, one of the master preachers, but, but also teachers um, of this generation. And I think that teaching... 
uh, is so important. You know, my father is, he considers himself a teacher. And so I've been raised on strong teaching. Uh, and so it's very important to me. Uh, this podcast has a large listenership of aspiring young ministers, and I wonder if you would mind sharing your sermon lesson preparation process, meaning what steps do you take when preparing a message or a lesson, and are they different between the two? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned teaching. I do not uh, and it's kind of funny because in, in our particular fellowship, uh, we don't really talk about teachers. We talk about preachers. And that's that's fine. That's just kind of right. our culture. Yeah. Um, I consider myself a teacher, uh, definitely not a preacher. Uh, I, I listen to preachers and I think, oh, my goodness, that's just phenomenal how they do that. I, I don't consider myself that. But I think at some point you have to trust, uh, number one, preaching or teaching is truth through personality. So number one, above all, you've got to be yourself. Wow. You, you can't uh, fake being somebody else. Uh, yes, it's sir. good to learn from other people, but to imitate other people, that's a lost cause at the beginning because God didn't gift you that way. And and, and I, I would say that if you think back a generation ago, Nathan, if you think about some of the great pioneers, mm-hmm. J.T. Pugh was not at all like G.A. Mangan, who was not at all like James Kilgore, who was yeah. not at all like N.A. Urshan. They all were very unique so uh, in, yeah. in their gifting, their personality, their ministry, their preaching. And I think one of the flaws that we have to be careful of because we're exposed to so much social media and we can watch anybody anywhere, anytime preach on YouTube. I think we have to be careful that we don't all become this uh, kind of mixed up uh, blend of vanilla, you know, that yeah. that we're all trying to preach like Anthony Mangan and we're all trying to wow. uh, you know, yeah. administrate like David Bernard and we're all trying. And these are wonderful men. And I thank God for all of their giftings, but I'm not any of them. And I have to just do uh, what God has called me to do in the way that I'm capable of doing it. So so coming back to the preaching, teaching thing, uh, and this is something that uh, actually Morel Cornwell, speaking of different giftings, Brother Cornwell and I are friends, but we're so different. It's amazing. Uh, you know, when I come back from his church, I, I just want to shut everything down do nothing but teach Bible studies and run buses. You know, it's right. like, okay, selling the building. You know? Yes, sir. Uh, we're very different. But he helped me solidify this because um, he's taught Bible studies for years. And so he would consider himself in great measure a teacher, which is amazing to me. You know, I never thought of him that way before I got to know him. Um, but but here's here's a definition that he kind of gave me, and I, I reformatted it a little bit to make sense for me. Preaching is the anointed declaration of truth. Mm. Teaching is the anointed explanation of truth. Oh, wow. They're, they're two sides of the same coin. And so, um, and, and it's my conviction as a teacher looking on a movement of mostly preachers, I think we need more declaration in our teaching. And I, I tell people, you know, if you're teaching a home Bible study, and somebody starts to weep because of what you just shared, stop flipping the pages and zero in on that moment and declare. That's a preaching function, but teachers can declare. And I I find that happens when I'm teaching. And then on the flip side, I think 
really, and this is not a critique, but it's an observation. I think for the most part, we could use a whole lot more explanation in our preaching. Yeah, I've listened to a lot of preaching, and we tend to lock into buzzwords and and familiar things. Well, they're familiar to us. They're not always familiar to new people or visitors. Uh, they're not always familiar to the next generation even. And and so I think it's really good to add explanation in our preaching. Uh, years ago, um, we kind of settled on this policy at CCC that if if service is privileged and blessed to have the gifts of the Spirit in operation, and it's tongues and interpretation, for example, we're going to stop up for a moment, not five minutes, not a Bible study, but we're going to stop up for like 45 seconds when that happens and say out loud, um, what just happened is God spoke to us by the gifts of the Spirit. It's in your Bible, 1 Corinthians 12, 14. It, it's, it's there. Yeah. God just privileged us. We heard from God. Let's respond. That takes about 40, 45 seconds. Right, yeah. But in doing so, people in the the audience that aren't Pentecostal, they are not part of our church, they may be a first-time guest, uh, they just understand, oh, okay, it's all right. And all we did was offer a moment of explanation in the middle of the flow of the Spirit. And I think that works in preaching, too. That's so so good. just more explanation in preaching, more declaration in teaching, and I don't think we're that far apart. It's it's two sides of the same coin. Yeah. Uh, so you asked about uh, preparation process. Yes, um, one of the things that I uh, really try to do is be um, a, a reader. Uh, I wish I had more time to read. If I have off time, I just love to just kind of lock in and read. So my reading is a lot in airports and on airplanes and in hotel rooms and in coffee shops and whatever. So it's it's not as clean as it used to be when I was home more. When I was home more, I had like my morning hours. That was my deal. A lot of times the morning hours now are you know, hurry, hurry, get to the airport. And that's crazy. But the iPad has been a wonderful thing for me because I can carry a pile of books on that. Uh, I don't get to carry, thanks to the airlines, I don't get to carry paper books anymore. Like they're, (laughs) they're, they weigh, they weigh everything. So I can't do that. But I I do uh, have my iPad and I've always got, you know, two or three things um, going on. Um, uh, I don't do... Um, when I read, I I try to highlight the guts out of any book I'm reading uh, on my iPad. And again, I would have probably preferred in a paper kind of world. uh, I like to take notes and whatever, but, but I can highlight and then you can go back and quickly find what, what, you know, impressed you, what, what, what really impacted you. And so then when I come to preparing a message, um, really, I I try to do a couple of things. One, if I ever need to prime the pump, so to speak, Mm -hmm. that I'm, you know, in a dry time, I'm trying to figure out which way am I going. Often, uh, I've done this for years on my computer, my iPad, of course, my phone, it all syncs up now. But I've got this long, uh, these long, long notes in the notes program on my on my Mac. And so I've got a note for like every because of the Times conference I've attended. I've got a note for uh, people like uh, Brother Tenney, all of his one-liners. When I used to hear him speak somewhere, I would write that down. So I've got a TF Tenney note. It goes forever. And I've got 
you know, just different things that impact me. I've got sermon series I want to try. I've got sermon ideas. That's just random. I've got a note for every book in the Bible. So if if I'm reading through, uh, I try, you know, in different years to read different translations of the Bible through. And I'll just write down scriptures that impact me in a fresh way. And I put it in the note for that book of the Bible. So if the pump's ever dry and I'm trying to prime it up, I'll, I'll go back and I'll read down through those thoughts because those are thoughts that impacted me at some time for some reason. And I'm reading down through like 80 of them at the same time. Something is going to, I may not end up using anything from those notes, but right. it's going to kind of pull something out of me. So, so that's kind of a, uh, a thing that, that has been a major blessing to me. I find that I get a lot of good thoughts, but, but the old statement, you know, the shortest pencil is longer than the longest memory. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and so if I don't get it down somewhere, I'm going to lose that. And, and I've done that enough times in my life that I've, I've learned, get it down. And, and for me, it's usually like typing it out on one of those devices. And uh, so, so that's where it starts for me that I've got all these little seed thoughts. If something starts to develop in me, I'll pull that thought out of that note and make a new note for that and then just start adding, you know, to that. And uh, I did that earlier this year with a ser uh, uh, a session I, I had to do uh, in Louisiana. Brother Cox, the superintendent, asked me to do a session on apostolic ethics. Well, I haven't dealt with apostolic ethics since like teaching at Bible school days. And right. so yeah. I, uh, you know, I, I started just jotting things down. Um, it started with scribbling with the, you know, the Apple pencil just on my iPad, and then it got typed out a little bit. And and I just keep adding things to it until I feel like it's it's kind of ready to actually formally begin pulling a message together. Uh, now, once I start that, two things I do, and and really this is fairly simplistic, but it works for me. I try to take the broad look and the deep look. And what I mean by that okay. is I, I see a lot of preaching that is just like they drop us in the middle of a verse. Hopefully they do actually use that verse in the sermon because I, I've had some texts read that by the time the sermon ended, I thought like, what did the text have to do with <laughs> right. what they just spent an hour talking about? But, right. right. But I find like preaching, I've compared preaching to a photograph and teaching to a video. Because in a photograph, you get a snapshot of one angle, one freeze frame. And that's sometimes what we do with like a verse or a passage or a text in preaching. Teaching, I find uh, what I think of it as is I like to pull back and pan around and zoom in and, and just kind of. So, so I, I like to take the broad look. And what I mean is I don't like to preach from Isaiah without knowing what is going on in Isaiah's life and in uh, Judah and, and in the kingdom at that time. I, I, to me, I, I just don't grasp, grasp it myself unless I understand that. So I like to take the broad look, and that includes, you know, reading a little bit about the history of, of what's going on, uh, the dynamics of whatever's happening in Israel, if you're talking about the Old Testament, uh, what... Paul's coming from. If I'm preaching from one of Paul's epistles, I'm always trying to do the what what I might call the parallel Bible thing. Okay, where is this in relation to whatever was happening in the book of Acts? When did he write this? What did he just come from? What's he going to? What's he going through? And so that's the broad look. And I find that that informs 
my understanding of the passage. Romans wasn't written in a vacuum. Galatians wasn't written in a vacuum. Uh, so it helps inform that. And then even if I'm just only preaching one verse out of that, I've got this understanding of the environment that verse came from. So that's the broad look. And then the other thing that I do personally is then I try to take the deep look. And 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 I'm not a I'm not a scholar like your your father. Oh my goodness, what what a brilliant apostolic mind that is! Just amazing. Yes, uh, but but I. You know, I covet that, but but I'm not that. But but I do have you know just resources, and they're regular resources. I can look up a word, um, and I can you know kind of research it out. And I, I've tried to to learn to be balanced in that because some people uh, they can go way off kilter using like uh, Greek and Hebrew. Absolutely, it's, yeah, it's really hilarious. Yeah. You know, uh, I heard uh, Rick Warren. Years ago, I was out in, in California at one of the old, they used to do a purpose-driven preaching conference among all the purpose-driven stuff he had. And I was there one year, and it was hilarious. I thought he had a really good point. He said, you know, let's let's take the word hot dog. Okay, hot dog. Hot means very, very warm, and dog means canine. So hot dog is a very warm canine. He said, that's how some of you guys deal with your dictionaries and whatever. <laughs> So, so to balance that, yeah. because I'm not a Greek or Hebrew scholar, I'll go find what I think it's saying, and then I go uh, look at it. And, and 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 this is also Warren from the probably that same seminar. He said, if you find something that nobody has ever seen before in two thousand years of church history, you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. You know, that, that's it. So I try to go find somebody else that has seen this, uh, thought about this, uh, and, and certainly we've got multiple resources online to compare word meanings and definitions, and so I feel pretty safe in that. But that to me is the deep look. I'll take every word, every phrase, every term in that scripture that popped out at me, you know, um, and, and it might be a word that I've read through before, studied before, but if it pops out at me in that verse, I'm going to go looking for, okay, now, what does he mean here? Because um, that, that to me, as a teacher, that enthralls me. Now, finally, so you've taken the broad look. You've got all this information about background and history and what's going on. You've taken the deep look, and you've got these snapshots of, of words or concepts or theology nuggets that you've, you've – and then you've got to, like, start pulling that together – and, and this was hard for me as a teacher early on. Um, it, it just, I, I would throw so much in a message that people would drown. Uh, and so you have to weed out a bunch of that and trust that you'll get back to it at some other time. It's not about putting everything you studied into that message. It's about, you know, angling that message so that at the end of the message, somebody, number one, got the point, And number two, uh, they've got something to do with the point. Right, and right. If, if you don't have that conclusion, you haven't really preached or taught. Uh, in the Hebrew language, uh, the word teach and the word learn are the same word. They just have different suffixes. So if, you ha if nobody has learned, you haven't taught. Uh, they're the same word. Wow. And, and, and I try to, to let that inform me for every message. So that's kind of a, a very long, convoluted trip way out around the barn to get to the answer. But, but my pro study process is probably a little long and convoluted, too. 
No, that no, that, that is so good. Thank you for sharing that with us because I've I've found that especially for young ministers that that are getting started, they're trying to find out. You know, they they have this call of God on their life, and I have a you know I serve as youth pastor here in in Georgia at my church, and I you know there's young men and women that feel a call of God, and they often come up to me and say, "Where do I start?" And mm. so I love hearing this from people like yourself who have so much experience and how the, how you do things, uh, you have no idea how much those long answers really do bless people. Well, like they want to hear it. <laughs> they, do. they do. Now with your uh, note taking, um, are you a very detailed uh, note taker with your sermon notes? Or are you more of a one line, I'll remember it from this line, or are you a word-for-word type note preparer? <clears throat> That's a great question, and I like answering that question. Um, I am a manuscript preacher. Uh, if you took any one of my messages, uh, you could read it, and it would make sense. Okay. I, I don't do bullet points anymore. I used to, like way, way back, and I found that that wasn't very useful even to me going back the second time I'd follow away these notes and then I would go back in and I'd see this bullet point and it said dog story. And I'm thinking like, what in the world is that? <laughs> and so it, it, it worked that Sunday, but it never worked for anything after. And, uh, so, so gradually it just dawned on me for, for about two or three reasons. Number one, if I'm a manuscript preacher, uh, the notes are more useful to me later. And we all take concepts. I preached a message yesterday. Uh, it was a new message. It was about, um, uh, and, and so here's my whole process in a nutshell. Somebody yeah. referred to this at because of the times this year, and I jotted it down. They, they referred to Goliath the giant stood in the territory of Judah. Of course, that's praise. Judah means praise. Judah was first a man, then he was a a tribe, then he was a territory. Finally, Judah was a kingdom. So Judah always is associated with praise. So Goliath stands in the middle of praise and he's threatening Israel and, and David steps up and Goliath says to him, if you defeat me here in praise in Judah, I have to serve you. But if I defeat you here in praise, you have to serve me. So the, the message yesterday was, was something along the lines of the battle is for your praise. Um, wow. So that was new to me. They came from a little nugget, thought it because of the times. Uh, I, I didn't even jot down who said it. I just was in a rush typing and writing as people were preaching. And so I don't even remember which session that came from. But I, it's been kind of just percolating in my head all these months. Yeah. Uh, that was January, so this is October. And you just finally kind of felt the green light. Okay, that, that's the one for this Sunday. And so then I went back. I preached a message eons ago. Actually, it was at a district youth convention here in the Atlantic District. And I remembered something in my brain about praise uh, that I had gone back through the, the origins of praise in the Bible. So I go back and, and literally that two or three paragraphs I cut and pasted from my notes like years ago, pulled wow. it in and then just kind of reformat it. So That's if great. I do a manuscript, it's much more useful to me after the fact. Secondly, if I do a manuscript kind of a message, it's more useful to everybody else. 
And I just feel like, Nathan, we're all on the same team. If I can share something with you or you can share something with me. Um, so, you know, there's home missionary pastors that work five, six days a week trying to teach Bible studies, raise up a church. I have a lot of conversations and texting and emails and phone calls with guys like that. Um, and, and they'll take something, maybe a series that we did here, and they can take it. And of course, they're going to pray it through and add to it and take some things out and change it a little bit. But boy, they've got the guts of it right there. They don't have to think like, what does he mean by dog story? Right, right. They, they've got it all together. And then finally, uh, the other reason I'm a manuscript preacher is because I hear a terrible amount of just endless rambling and circling back around yeah. and hitting the same thing over and over and over again. And I'm thinking, I got it the first time. Um, and again, I know that's me being a teacher because I want content, content, content. Right. And so I try to modify that and realize everybody's style isn't the same. Um, but, but, but the reality is I hear a lot of just circling around and there's very little being said. It's just the same thing over and over again with varying amounts of volume and excitement and whatever. I really want to actually say something. So especially if I'm doing an introduction, especially if I'm doing a story, I'm not a storyteller. I'm not a good storyteller. Um, and, and so a story, I'm going to have that thing written out and I'm going to read that verbatim. Because the first time I get it all pulled together, I'm going to write it until it just about makes me, if it's a serious story, I'm going to write it until that thing, just reading through it, just about makes me tear up and cry. Right. Uh, you know, and, and then when I read it, I've got the passion, not of somebody else's words. I've rewritten that thing uh, until I, I can feel it. So I'm not departing from that. And that helps me be a little more concise and a little more... I get to look for words and, and every preacher likes a certain amount of alliteration, you know, and, and, and it just works better to say, uh, trials, temptations, tests, and troubles that just works better than all the junk you went through this week. It just works better. Right. And, and so it gives me a chance to really format that. Now there's a little tension around this, uh, in our fellowship. I've been at conferences and it's, it's hilariously awkward. I was at one conference where a guy stood up, a great, great man of God, and obviously a preacher, uh, and he said, bless God, I don't need notes, I don't use notes, I'm living the notes. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and, and so I had to get up after him and preach from my notes, you know, so I don't make any comment. But, but jokingly, I said to the hosts of that meeting after, well, I said two things. One is the next morning, they get up and they said, if anybody would like any notes, we've got Brother So-and-So's notes and we got Brother Woodward's notes from yesterday. He did have notes. He just It's like his notes must have not been very good or whatever. Right. right. But the other thing is I, I just jokingly said to the host, I said, you know, I'm really, really grateful that Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, Peter, James, uh, all of these people, I'm really glad that they use notes because I'm still preaching from their notes. Hey, that's know, so true. Yeah. 2,000 years later. So... I, I really am a manuscript guy because I just feel like it's so useful later on. And the, the, you know, the, the tension there is, well, it can't be anointed if you're reading it. I categorically disagree. I can get anointed when I'm reading the Bible. So I can certainly get anointed when I'm reading something that God quickened into my spirit. Absolutely. Yeah. But again, I, I would like to say that 
you know, you've got to be yourself. Pastor Jack Lehman, who works here with me, he's a great storyteller. Uh, and he's a preacher versus a teacher. When he gets into a story, he doesn't have notes. He just lives a really interesting life or something. You know, my life is get on a plane, get off a plane, get on a plane, get off a plane. It's just really boring. Uh, you know, sit beside the, the fat guy in 3B and then get off the plane. It's just boring. <laughs> right, right. So I don't have good stories. But uh, so if I tell a story, it's going to be crafted so that it has an emotional punch. He gets a, a lighter kind of emotional punch. He usually tells like a funny story or a personal story. And, and that's his personality. I would not want him to, to try to become like me. It would, it would squelch that. And I can't fake it becoming like him. It falls flat. If I tell, try to tell a funny story, my sense of humor is so kind of, I don't know. It's just weird. I would probably hurt people <laughs> if I tried to tell <laughs> something funny because it would come across as cruel or cutting or something. So I just try to do my thing. That's funny. But, but we've all got to do that. That's the deal. Is, so I wouldn't want somebody to force themselves to become a manuscript preacher if they do really, really well flying with bullet points. We've got some powerful evangelists that never look at a note because they've got that message drilled into their spirit. They might have a scripture verse and a few bullet points written in their Bible. I don't want them to change to be a manuscript preacher because right. that would wreck their ministry. And so, again, it comes back to truth through your personality. Wow, that's that's so good and encouraging. You know, I I uh I have found that to be true in the movement that there are uh which you are the first uh preacher that I've interviewed recently that uses the manuscript uh preacher concept, which is a huge encouragement to me because I am very much that way. Um mm-hmm. and, and and that is me being me. I don't know how to be anybody else. And so, you know, whenever I prepare something, having it written in front of me, it it helps me. And I, and I feel the anointing of God, just like when he gave it to me to write down. I, I interviewed um, Victor Jackson uh, a few weeks ago, and he was telling me how he doesn't use any notes and and how he, you know, he preached NAYC with no notes and general conference with no notes and all these things. And I'm like, wow, that is so incredible. And for him, he gets up, he knocks it out of the park every time. I mean, he's my friend. I love him. If I did that, it would be the ultimate failure because that's just not uh, who I am. I have to have somewhere to go because I would be a rambler. But thank you for emphasizing on how different men of God prepare things differently. Because I think that that is important for this younger generation to understand that you have to be yourself. You can't be somebody else. Um, earlier, you talked about the the deep look and the broad look, um, which I love the broad look uh, side of your ministry when you're preaching. I love how you paint the picture surrounding the text. When you take that deep look, what are some resources that you use when studying that that deep look? You know, I don't use anything uh, that, that's really unique or whatever. Uh, a lot of times the deep look, what I'm doing is if I'm home, I'm going to, you know, dig out my vines dictionary and my strongs and I'm going I'm to do all that. Most of that, of course, is online now. And, and online is a big help because you can take multiple um, 
resources to look up words and to look up concepts and and you've got bible dictionaries and everything online so so i think most of my study stuff is pretty standard uh as far as you know looking up words and looking up concepts and looking up history you know uh what i love about the online world is i can i can you know confirm that with other people who have preached, other people who have studied, and other resources online. What I would like to do uh, on this matter is is just maybe throw a, a little bit of credit to a resource that kind of gets bad press now, and that is the commentaries. You know, I, I, I again, <laughs> I've heard people say in, in this uh, day and age, you know, bless God, this Bible will make a pretty good resource to comment on those commentaries, you know, <laughs> and it's kind of throwing shade on, on, on commentaries. Um, the classic commentators are wonderful. They're a, a heavy uh, assignment to just kind of slog through, you know, I, I know probably your dad too, but you know, I know like David Bernard, uh, reads like early church fathers over lunch. Like it's just, I'm, right. I'm not him, you know, yeah. uh, I admire that. Uh, we've got such a great leader, but I'm not him. Um, but, but, um, I like actually, and me, I think this is the teacher in me. My whole goal is for somebody to walk out and think, wow, I understand that now. That's my goal. Because I know I have enough confidence in the word of God that if I can get them to understand that, the word will do its work. It's like a seed. It's like a hammer. You know, it, it's like water. It, 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 the word does everything. It's like fire. It just gets in them and it starts to work. Um, one of the favorite things, somebody will come back to me, and I've had people even in our local church come back. And, you know, we've done a, we did a series called Kings and Kingdoms on First Samuel, uh, did a series on the book of James, did a series on, you know, just, I mean, I'm just trying very gradually to, to try to look at the whole counsel of the word of God, and particularly in the New Testament, uh, over time, over multiple years, to teach our way through, uh, not in order, but just teach our way through, make sure we hit just about every book in the New Testament. Um, and uh, so, so, when they come back and say, Pastor, I've been going back through Romans and I've been uh, playing the series that we did and uh, I've been watching that and then reading my Bible and oh, it's making sense to me, Nathan, that is so very rewarding. That's wonderful. So because I'm a teacher, uh, I even like stuff like, um, I think he calls it, uh, I think they call it the Bible Exposition Commentary. It was put together by Warren Wiersbe. It started as a series of books, the B series. Uh, and Warren Wiersbe, what, what was the program? Back to the Bible or something. He was the mm -hmm. online radio voice of one of those programs for years. Gotcha. What I like about Wiersbe, now Wiersbe's Baptist. Uh, he's going to be all messed up on the Holy Ghost, the gifts of the Spirit, and the new birth. But I'm not reading him for that. I'm reading him because in a layman's voice, he will take apart the history of the book of Acts or what's going on in Thessalonica or what's going on in Corinth. And he will lay out each chapter of those books. And he gives this incredible background information. So I have devoured Wearsby, especially when I'm teaching a series on one of those books. I'm not reading Wearsby for doctrine. I'm reading Wearsby for that big, broad background look. And, and I really think it's not exciting, exciting reading. Um, it, it's, it's just, but to me, it's the necessary framework of any kind of understanding 
of that book. And I think you do a disservice if you don't apply yourself there because then you're teaching in a vacuum and you may say something inadvertently that actually even gives like a, a different sense or even sometimes the opposite sense of what the scriptures say. And just because mm. you don't know the situation right. that Paul or Peter uh, or whoever they're, that they're addressing, uh, that's everything from, oh goodness, the church council to Paul's book to the Galatians or you know, there's a whole lot of background in there. And the background, if you apply yourself, then it gets exciting because it's like, oh, that's what that means or that's where that fits. And so I use resources like that. There's a new little series of books. It's in process of being printed. Uh, to me, they're very light reading. It's called um, God's Word for You. And it's by a, a variety of different uh, authors. Um, oh, goodness, the guy in New York. I can't remember his name. Um, oh, that's all right. But, but anyway, just a bunch of different authors. Now, some of them are Calvinists, some of them are whatever. But again, I'm not reading them for doctrine. Uh, when I did Kings and Kingdoms, which is about 1 Samuel, I used one of those books. So it would be called 1 Samuel for You. And, and it was a fairly light little book, but the guy had a unique way of looking at stuff. Uh, for example, one of the things I learned from him, and I confirmed this, and it, it's true, um, you know, we talk about Pharaoh like that was the first name of the ruler of Egypt. Pharaoh was a title. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar was a title versus a name. A lot of these ancient kingdoms, there was a, an honorary title they gave to their ruler. So Pharaoh or Nebuchadnezzar. Well, in, oh, okay. in, in Israel, the title, they didn't call, we call him King Saul or King David. The title for the king in Israel was Mashiach. Because mm. Israel had the distinction of being the only nation that when their king was crowned, he was anointed with oil. And that's what uh, Mashiach or Messiah, we would say, that's what that means, the anointed one. And so every king in Israel, whether good, bad, evil, ugly, they were supposed to be a picture of the Messiah. Well, that's just a little throwaway thought in one of those books. But my goodness, it just pulls out another shade of, of, of meaning and beauty in the scripture. Wow. Yeah. That I really, really like. And so, you know, uh, I'm trying to get to your question here, but... but no, that's good. Take your time. The standard resources are pretty much the same for me as they would be for anybody. But if I can lock into a book, I did a message years ago, uh, and I've preached it several times. I love to do it when we're doing a succession service at a church, uh, a, man, uh, a, a message on the mantle, the prayer shawl. Um, I hit into three or four books that gave a lot of the Jewish kind of history and theology and understanding of the prayer shawl. And then you read in the Gospels where Jesus is interacting in certain ways. Obviously, the big one, the woman that touched the hem of his garment. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you know, that message just took on a life of its own. Because if I can lock into some kind of book that's going to enlighten me, I'm not looking for apostolic doctrine out of those books. I'm looking for background. I'm looking for understanding of customs. I'm looking for word meanings. I've got apostolic doctrine. And we've got some great writers like your dad that have given us incredible resources for apostolic doctrine. But that doesn't mean I can't go into some of these background resources. Absolutely, and so yeah. I think that's what, um, if, if, if there is a uniqueness to my particular teaching style, if there is, that would be what it is, is I'm trying to pull things, and you, you used a phrase that I love, uh, to paint the picture. I want people to feel like they know 
uh, who wrote that verse or what was going on in Israel. And that comes from those resources. So those are some of my favorite resources when studying the Bible is give me something. I don't read a lot of the current crop of, you know, the, the authors that do all these like I call them, you know, they're, they're inspirational books. <laughs> yeah. they're, they're fine. They're very, very light. A lot of people read them. I, I find they're like, you know, they're, they're so light that they're not useful. And so where I lock in is a book that it might not be heavy reading. It's not scholarly, scholarly reading. It's written in layman's terms like Wearsby. But boy, it gives a wealth of background information. And to me, that helps me set up what I need to do then with the apostolic context of what's going on. So so that's kind of my favorite thing. Gotcha. Now, I I am originally uh, from the north, and and I thank God he moved me to the south about eight years ago. <laughs> and so yeah, I met my wife. Of you about a month from now. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> So uh, I met my wife here in the South, and uh, and so I noticed that um, demographics in this part of the the country are very different when it comes to church and outreach. For just for a quick example, for instance, in the North, you know, I grew up around Indiana Bible College, going to Calvary Tabernacle because my father was the vice president there. Yes. In that part of the country, Sunday night is your big evangelistic service, and and. Everybody shows up on Sunday night, whereas in the morning service is kind of lower attendance, whereas in the South, it's the opposite of that. Everybody goes to church on Sunday morning, you usually have a lower crowd on Sunday night. Have you noticed in your traveling and also pastoring in Canada that there are spiritual differences with the demographics of your church depending on where you're at in the world? Oh, big big time. I mean, that's, and that's part of the beauty and the strength of the apostolic movement is that, uh, you know, we're not trying to westernize or uh, Americanize uh, people in different parts of the world. We're trying to make them apostolic believers, not believers just like us. And so there are great strengths and, and, and I'm sure weaknesses. You don't get strengths without having accompanying uh, weaknesses, associated weaknesses. It's like the personalities. You know, if you're a, a very driven kind of person, then your weaknesses, you can be a bit insensitive. But if you're a very kind of peacemaker kind of person, your weakness can be you're a little bit reluctant to commit or to decide. So e- every personality has strengths and associated weaknesses. And I think every uh, church, every indigenous church, will say, has great strengths and probably associated uh, weaknesses. Now, in traveling, uh, the majority of my travel every year is probably in America, uh, a lesser amount in Canada, ironically. Um, and then, but of course, we have about, you know, one tenth of the number of churches here. So that would make sense. And then overseas, um, I, I do a few trips every year. Um, you know, you mentioned North and South. Now, the, to me, the big difference, North and South, is what I would call the Bible Belt culture. Right. Uh, now, in America, you would not think that the Bible Belt culture goes as far north as Indiana, for example. In Canada, we look at that and think, oh, that's Bible Belt. There's a different uh, Canada is much more European in its thinking than America. It's oh, okay. we, we border. Um, you know, we have great relationship, the two countries, but Canada is much, much more like Europe. Um, it's, it's just amazing to me, the difference. Um, 
And, and so there's some spiritual dynamics. Canadians are perceived, and I think Northerners in the States are perceived as much more reserved. And, and so that leads to some funny moments. I've had some friends come from the States and I always try to coach them, you know. Uh, <laughs> now, you're going to notice that, you know, they're probably not going to be turning cartwheels in front of the pulpit while you preach. And, and I've literally seen that in the South. Um, right. You know, so... <laughs> You know, they're probably not, but they're, but they're listening and they're responding. So we've had some guys come and I could name their names, but that's immaterial. And, and we've had them just like badger our folks. It's just funny. And our folks all take it in good part. You know, they, they know they're the chosen frozen or whatever, (laughs) you know? So, so really what happens is, you know, can somebody give me a Baptist nod? Can somebody give me an Anglican cough? And can somebody give me a a Wesleyan burp? And and like, they just, they just go at them, you know, they just bludgeon them. And then this has happened so many times now. It's just funny to me. They'll give an altar call. People come and they just go into prayer. And I've had so many of these guys from the South say, what is up with these people? And I say, well, what do you mean? They're still in the altar. It's like, yeah, they were listening to what you preached, Doc. Like they heard what you said. And and so it's just a difference in culture. Now, overseas, um, we have to be really careful, I think, Nathan. Uh, Mm -hmm. When when we go, we're there to – I I see some guys, and I've been at a bunch of overseas meetings, sometimes with with big crews of people that have come from the Americas and and, – we have to be very careful that we don't presume that our way of thinking or our way of doing things is best. It's not best for their culture. They're mm. the experts on their culture. Right. So to me, that's the beauty of being uh, a teacher of the word. I try not to teach a bunch of stuff. That's my opinion. I try to teach what the Bible says, yeah. and that works in any culture. And And the best example, I think, uh, of that is... Uh, I've been privileged over the years to do some study on our what I call our lifestyle convictions, our holiness standards. I don't teach those from a cultural perspective. I don't say this is what uh, Canadians think or this is what Americans do. Or I teach that from what the Bible says and try to make application to today. Well, that works in any culture. I've taught that stuff in Australia, in Pakistan, wow. in you know Guatemala, just a bunch of different countries, and it works and it connects because you stick with the scripture. And I think that's what's important in all these differences. There are always going to be differences in worship styles. Uh, there are differences in, in uh, you know, you even get some of the cultural groups in, um, in America. Uh, predominantly Jamaican church is very different from a predominantly Hispanic church or a predominantly Filipino church or a predominantly Caucasian church or a predominantly black church. There is nothing wrong with any of them, right. uh, but if they're predominant toward one culture, uh, what I notice is that uh, they can get locked in, and we can get locked into the way our culture does it. One of the great blessings here at CCC in the last few years, and we've worked on this forever. Fredericton's a very small city, about 60,000, and so we've really worked on becoming a multicultural church right. in an area that is pretty pretty monocultural except for our universities and you know uh it's pretty monocultural you know when i walk the streets here in in fredericton but we've really tried to become a multicultural church uh very very intentionally that's and, awesome and and so as a result 
I can't tell you what a blessing that is. Every culture brings a strength into the church, and that's what we have to focus on. And I think the same thing with like, you know, whether you're talking North, South, Canadian, American, uh, whatever it is, you appreciate the strength and you adopt to the weakness. You adapt around it and, and you just have church. And, uh, and that, that's basically my philosophy, but especially overseas, I don't want to go in and, and, and I'm always very intentional to say, I'm so grateful for your leaders here. These are great godly men. You're so blessed and privileged to have them. Absolutely, I would go yeah. in as strength to those leaders, not go in as somebody that's perceived because this happens on the on the foreign field. You know, just because you're from America or Canada, you must be blessed because you're from these great wealthy countries. And, right. and I don't want to give that impression. I want to go in as a servant to that culture, as a servant to that indigenous church, and try to help them, not by being some expert, quote unquote, but by just being a, a fellow student of the word. That, that to me, is, is so important. Absolutely. I love that. And I'm very thankful to be a part of a multicultural church. And I I have never been to your church, but I have uh, followed y'all very closely online. And y'all just seem to be having revival. And it really makes me happy to see that. Um, you guys are doing a great work. Uh, now, you're well known for your you know, your academic view on things, breaking down uh, the Word of God step by step for people to better understand. I've, I've often heard, uh, I, I've, I told my father this yesterday, I, I told him I was interviewing you, and he was excited because he's a, a fan of yours, and um, I've told him, I said, I, I think the name I hear most often compared to my father, Talmadge French, is is Raymond Woodward, just because of your your teachers at heart, and and you break things down so well, step by step. Uh, in your academic ventures, have you ever had any kickback for being a oneness Pentecostal? Because I've had conversations with my father about this, and uh, I wanted to kind of hear your approach to it. Have you ever had any kickback from that in the academic world? Um, well, well, here's the thing. Uh, it, it, you just gave me like the ultimate highest compliment that to think that your uh, dad would even be aware of, of any thing in my ministry. Your dad is a brilliant, brilliant man. Oh, yes. My goodness. Um, so, so I'm not in the same circles as, as uh, he is. I haven't written academically and I'm really not in the academic world. I'm in the, the pastoral world. Um, so, so you know, my pushback would be uh, local church and local city pushback. And we do get, you know, nobody has a problem with anything you want to believe today. That's the irony of the world we live in. As long as you don't declare any absolutes, you are absolutely fine. Um, but if you start to declare absolutes that, uh, you know, the new birth is defined as this scripturally, that's where you're going to run into pushback. Yeah. If, if you run into, um, uh, you know, the, it's so amazing today. Everybody has some kind of blended spirituality. They've taken some Hollywood ideas, some new age ideas, some ideas they got from a college professor, uh, some denominal church they grew up. It's like they've created their own Jesus and they've mm -hmm. created their own salvation. And so to me, from the pastoral world, 
that's where the pushback comes from. Nobody minds us. People love our church. We're, we're a community player. Uh, we, we, we love our city. Uh, you know, we're, we're welcoming and warm and whatever. People love our church. Any pushback comes when they realize that there is a definitive message and a definitive call to obedience in our church. And, um, you, you know, that's an ongoing tension. One of the greatest leadership statements I think I've ever run across uh, is, is this, that some things are not problems to solve. They're just ongoing tensions to manage. Mm. And one of the tensions in an apostolic church is between insiders and outsiders, between senior saints and new converts, between older people, uh, experienced people and new people. That tension never goes away. And so we do get kickback for being oneness Pentecostal sometimes, depending on how much background that new person has had in the wider world of denominational slash Trinitarian slash, you know, watered down doctrine world. And, you know, if they've had a lot of exposure in that world and somebody finds out they're coming our way, they're going to try to inform them before they get here. Now, if they get here first, they're going to love it. That doesn't mean somebody's not going to tackle them later. It, it just means that they're going to love the experience because what they don't ever stop to associate is that God has always been a very particular God. Uh, he, he believes in details. He believes right. in commitment. He believes that he is God. He is Lord and we are not. And so they don't ever stop to realize that you know, we have the typical thing of people say, I love this here. This is like no other church. I've been to every church in the city and I, I love it here. And it never seems to quite dawn on them that there's a reason for that. And that reason is our people aren't just visiting Jesus an hour a week on Sunday, right. you know, at the church. They're really making an effort to live for him every day. So, so my kickback is pastoral. It's not in the academic world that your dad's in. But the, the, the kickback there would be just as intense, if not more so. But it's encouraging to me, Nathan, that in this generation, mm -hmm. more attention is being given to the apostolic message than ever before. Yeah. And so many things are happening outside the boundaries of of the particular fellowship that you and I share outside of the United Pentecostal Church International, there are all kinds of apostolic uh, groups uh, that, that are meeting and a lot of stuff going on because of the political nature of the world. We've got so many closed countries, so many Muslim countries, we can't broadcast what's going on there. I, I got a text just maybe three hours ago from one of our missionaries, um, and he is going into a brand new country. He was on jumping on a plane. Wow. Uh, he works in access challenged nations of the world where we can operate openly. That's his world. That's, that's what he does. Um, so he's going into a brand new nation today. Uh, he's on his way there right now. And um, he's going to make connection with people that have maybe some kind of understanding. Uh, he has to walk in the spirit, even in some of these nations as to who he would even strike up a conversation with. You have to be uh, very careful. And yet God is leading him, making connections in places we've never been. Um, so much attention is being brought to the apostolic message because apostolic is not a denominational sense for us. It's right. a New Testament 
sense for us. And yes, we're sir. restorationists. We believe that every church deserves a, a New Testament gospel presentation, a New Testament experience, a New Testament kind of, of lifestyle and power. And so that's what we all strive for. And, and so, of course, there's going to be kickback to that. But you just push through the kickback into every young minister listening. It is so worth striving for those things. Uh, we're not trying to build the average church Amen. down the street. We're, we're striving to be an apostolic church in the 21st century. And that is the thing that is most worth it in, in ministry. You, you, you look back and, and uh, I'll, I'll just say one last thing. I, you, yes, you know, you, you look back, I heard it said years ago, every leader, and, and I'll put it in the pastoral sense, every pastor uh, overestimates what they can accomplish in a year and underestimates what they can accomplish in 10 years. So, you know, and I put that in my context. I came in here as the senior pastor in 2001, and, and I, I had big dreams. And I, I really, I think, carried a sense of disappointment that first few years because it's like, we're not going fast enough, we're not growing fast enough, we're not reaching far enough, we're not changing quick enough. And, and then, at the you know 10 year mark and now it's getting up to the word the 20 year mark for me you look back over a decade and you think oh wow this church isn't even the same church you know uh we were so inwardly focused and now we're outwardly focused and 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 we were struggling to uh, you know, kind of have that d deeper dimension of worship and prayer and hooking on in the spirit. And now that's just a natural part of every service. You wow. underestimate what you can do in 10 years. You might overestimate what you do in a year. And so again, to the, the younger pastors and preachers and evangelists that, that would be listening, uh, you know, don't, don't get discouraged in the short term because this is about the long haul and this is about finishing well, not just starting in a big blaze of glory and activity. It's, it's about finishing strong and finishing well, and, and that's what's most important. Wow. Thank you, Brother Woodward. That is some wonderful advice. Now, um, I, I have one final question for you. I want to be respectful of your time. The problem is I could sit here for, for three hours and, and just ask you questions all day, so I have to... I have to limit myself here, <laughs> but um, I, I, anytime I get the the honor and the privilege to speak to somebody like yourself, um, I try to end the podcast interview with this question. Uh, what words of advice would you leave Generation Z and millennials? And I've, I've been, this question was put into my spirit at North American Youth Congress when Brother Jack Cunningham preached Generation Z apostolic yes, to the core. And so I just, I, I feel like this question is so important for my, gen like my generation needs your generation to help us with this. What do we need to work on to better ourselves in this last generation to make sure that we are apostolic to the core? What a great question, and what what an important question. That that's just so important. Um, I, I think the biggest thing is to not be content with something inherited. Um, we inherit Pentecostal style. We don't inherit Pentecostal lifestyle. Mm -hmm. 
You have to carve that out for yourself. So the style of our services, the style of our preaching, the style of our music, the style of of everything from church buildings to how choirs participate in a service to how choirs have changed to praise teams to like we inherit all of that. So much of that, 95% of that is cultural. There's nothing wrong with cultural. Everybody has culture. Uh, If you go to Africa or if you go to the Philippines or if you go to Australia, uh, whatever country you're in, the, the cultural trappings are going to feel slightly different. What we don't inherit. Uh, we can inherit that style. We cannot inherit the lifestyle of those that handed us this movement. And, yeah, and uh, you know, you and I are coming up to like two generations now uh, since the elders, you know. Um, and, and so we've lost a lot of our what I would call our pioneer elders. And then the next generation, they would be the people that I look to for leadership. And, and the sad fact of the matter is I'm getting very close to the age that they were when I first started looking to them, if I haven't already passed that age. And, and so um, every generation has to have a first-generation experience, a first-generation commitment to doctrine, a first-generation revelation of, of holiness and how that affects us. Um, every generation has to have that, because other than that, we just inherit the style of our forefathers without inheriting the lifestyle. And that's where it can fracture. And, and, and my, I'm informed by that from uh, Solomon's story and from uh, the story of the judges. You know, the opening chapter of the book of Judges says uh, Joshua died and mm-hmm. then the elders that outlived Joshua, they died. And then there arose another generation and what the Bible says about them is they didn't remember the stories and they served other gods. In two generations, it was possible for them to forget wow. the lifestyle of the Joshua generation. And then we look at Solomon and Solomon had this conversation with God. And God said to Solomon, because you've squandered the inheritance you received from your father, David, you've intermarried with all these pagan wives and you've done this. Here's what God said to Solomon. And this haunts me a little bit, Nathan. Mm. Uh, He he said to Solomon, in your son's day, I am going to tear the kingdom from your son, Rehoboam. I'm going to take the kingdom from him. And then he said to Solomon, I won't do it in your day. But it's not because of you, and it's not because of your prayer life or your dedication. I won't do it in your day because of your father, David. Out of respect to David, I won't take it from you, David's son. But in your son's generation, it's gone. I'm going to give the kingdom to somebody else. And and, and so that informs me this, and I really believe this strongly. And uh, there's enough residual commitment, enough residual anointing, if you will, to last for about a generation. And we see that all around us if we stop and think about it. People that have walked away from apostolic truth, apostolic commitment or doctrine, there's usually about enough anointing, enough residual feeling in that church or in that movement to last for a generation. And the next generation fares okay. And everybody looks on and thinks, well, what was that all about? Because they walked away from holiness lifestyle, or they walked away from new birth doctrine, or they walked away from this or this, and, and, and they still seem to be surviving. And the answer is, of course they are, because there was enough residual anointing in the prayers and the commitment of their fathers wow. 
just slide them through. Yeah. Where you will see it, and this happens every time, where you will see the, the vast difference is in the children that rise up out of that generation. Wow, that's and that a happens good point. over and over and over again. So coming back to us, the message to me for this generation, and they're so intelligent and they're so enthusiastic and they're so committed and, and they're, they're just overwhelming to me when I see them at, at NAYC, these tens of thousands of kids and they're, they're just loving God and whatever. Yeah. But NAYC happens once every couple of years and you can serve God at NAYC, but you can't serve God as NAYC. Wow. You have to come home and translate that into how you're going to serve God and fulfill your calling and reach your generation. And to me, that happens when we're not content just to be handed the beautiful inheritance, the beautiful doctrine and whatever. And, and it becomes like almost we're doing it in honor to our parents in a certain sense. We have to carve this out for ourselves. And so in light of our conversation today, I think part of that carving out is you, you don't preach stuff just because it preaches well or because you heard somebody preach it or because you think it's expected. You preach stuff because you have carved it out for yourself. Right. Uh, our district went through a horrendous uh, split. In fact, the pastor that I serve first uh, just about in ministry, uh, he ended up kind of leading the charge and, and, and he left and, and it was a big trauma here in the Atlantic district back in the year 1996. One of the, the things that came out of that is my pastor at the time, brother Ed Goddard, a good, good, godly man. He said, Raymond, you've got a teaching bent. Why don't you go study? We're being trashed everywhere. Why don't you go study our lifestyle convictions, our holiness message and teach it to the church? And, and Brother Goddard gave me weeks to just kind of get along with God and books and Bible and just, and the more I studied that, Nathan, the more it just came alive in me. And it was like, oh, the elders didn't always tell me why we did it. They just told me what to do. But I just figured out why we do that. I just figured out from the word of God why that's important. And I got it for myself. So you can't take that from me because yeah. I got that from God and the Bible. So it doesn't matter who leaves it, who trashes it, who mocks it or maligns it. It's mine because I dug it out. And I think in every area, whether it be prayer, whether it be uh, doctrine, whatever it is, um, that, that would be my message to this particular generation. If we're going to be apostolic to the core, we have to have that core in us. It's not a core that's been passed to us from somebody else that we're imitating or that we're honoring. It's something we've dug out for ourselves. And so uh, to me, that that's the message for sure. Wow, that is incredibly powerful, Brother Woodward. Thank you so much. And uh, I hope you know that this uh, this conversation has just blessed me today. Oh, and sure. and I, I feel so honored. If you would do us the privilege of closing us out in prayer, I would greatly appreciate it. I'd be honored to do it. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much uh, for the privilege of having this conversation today. I thank you for all of the things we've talked about, some of them practical, some of them maybe leaning a little bit toward profound because they deal with your word and your presence in our lives. I pray for every young man, young woman, young minister that listens to this conversation through the podcast. I pray, Lord God, that you would put a fire in them to dig this out for themselves. 
put a fire in them for ministry, put a fire in them for uh, grappling with the truths of the Word of God until they make it their own and they make it personal. And I pray your blessing on this generation, on Nathan's generation. God, the greatest generation that's ever been born into the apostolic faith, but we have to be born of your spirit, not just born by inheritance. And so I pray that you would lead and guide every single one of them that are listening. I pray, Jesus, you'd give them direction. And in the words of the psalmist, order their steps in your word. I pray that for them today. In Jesus' name, we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Brother Woodward, I am so incredibly honored and thankful to get to have this conversation with you today. I know that our listeners have been so blessed, and thank you for taking time out of your incredibly busy schedule, and I want you to know that your ministry is making a profound impact on the world, and my generation looks up to you and wants to be more like you. I thank God for you, my friend. Well, thank you so much. It's very, very kind and and more than I would ever deserve, Nathan, but that's very kind and I do appreciate it. And uh, right back at you, I I thank you for this uh, podcast. Your generation is making a a major difference in doing things like this and and they're such a great resource. So thank you for the privilege and and, uh, it's, it's just been wonderful. I've enjoyed every minute. Thank you, brother. We love and appreciate you, your family, praying for continued revival at CCC and we cannot wait in your travels to get you back to Georgia as soon as physically possible. And we appreciate you, brother. Thank you. Take care. God bless. Bye-bye.